welcome back everyone to podcast four in our series of the 10 rules of modern work by Deloitte Consulting Southeast Asia. I'm Roxana Perez, your host for today. And joining me once again is Indra Neil Roy from our Deloitte Southeast Asia consulting practice. Hi Indra. Hi Roxana, really glad to be here. Today, we're going to be talking about the last three rules in the 10 rules of modern work. So just as a very quick reminder, so far, we've covered the three rules of control. We've covered the three rules of awesome. Today, we're going to talk about the three rules of growth, and we're saving that final golden rule till the end, but we will get to that today, we promise. So Indro, you know, as with all of the rules, there's been a premise behind each category of rules. So can you tell us a little bit about the basis for the three rules of growth? Yeah, sure, Roxana. The thing is that everybody today is aware of the fact that continuous learning is a feature of modern work. So that is not a surprise to anyone. That is not something that we need to talk about too much. However, there is a level of anxiety that I see in the workforce. And when we are talking to managers and leaders and even young employees who are just coming out of their you know, graduate schools and entering the workforce, there is the anxiety related to, am I growing fast enough? Am I learning new skills fast enough to be relevant in the future workforce? And that comes from you know, one data point that I want to share that comes from this data point. We track what we call the half-life of skills, which is how many years does a learned skill stay relevant in the workforce? And if you look at the latest data on that, the half-life of skills is about four and a half years today. Well, not for all skills, but definitely for some of the technical skills that holds true, which means that every four and a half years, we have to acquire a new set of skills to be relevant in modern work and modern workforce. And that leads to a huge amount of anxiety. And the three rules of growth that we crafted is based on that research. And it's based on a genuine sense of wanting to help employees and workers in today's workforce in modern work to grow at a pace that is at or faster than the market. Now, that is very specific. It is not just about saying, let's learn a few things and let's go for training and let's uh, you know pick up new skill sets. Everybody is doing that. But how do you stay ahead of everybody else in the workforce? That is the focus of the three rules of growth. It's so interesting, right, Indra, because what I'm thinking about is that this rule is so relevant regardless of whether you are brand new in the workforce, because often the anxiety is around, am I good enough, right? Do I have the skills and capabilities that I need? Or whether you've been in the workforce for a while, like you and I, you know, where the question is more around, is my knowledge still relevant? How do I ensure that I'm always relevant? Because things are changing so quickly. So with that in mind, let's talk about rule number seven, right? So rule number seven, we're using a new term here called learn flow. So rule number seven is turn your workflow into learn flow. Tell me a little bit about this, this term called learn flow and what it means. So workflow is a term that we are all familiar with. Why is that? That is because we consider work to be a legitimate use of time. So when we open up our calendar, we create a workflow. We put in meetings, we put in all of our work-related agenda in there, and that is something that we've become very familiar with that becomes our workflow. So when we are doing a project, we do it at the level of project plan or a work plan, and then we bake that plan into the, our calendars. You know, Some people are working in Agile, so they will say backlog, et cetera, et cetera. However, when it comes to learning, Roxana, we feel that we have to move away from work and go for training. 
So most employees that I talk to, most people that I talk to who are in modern work today say that, oh, today I have to spend four hours away from work. And what are you doing? I am learning. And th those four hours is going to be in some sort of a, uh, a training session or an accreditation session, et cetera, et cetera. So that is the traditional view of learning, that your work flows. And in order to learn, you must stop the flow of work and go somewhere else and then learn. However, if you look at the premise of learning in modern work, we are saying that you need to learn maybe 20% or more of your time. And that is simply not possible if you're going to step away from work to learn all the time. In other words, you're going to have 20% less capacity to work. That doesn't make sense. So there has been a lot of talk about this idea of learning in the flow of work. And I like that idea because that brings to life how we need to think about learning in modern work. Learn flow is simply taking that conceptual idea of learning in the flow of work and making it very practical. So how do we think about baking our learning hours into our calendar? How do we make it a legitimate part of our day? And how do we integrate working and learning? So those are the key questions that we are trying to address with this notion of turning your workflow into learn flow. So how do we do that at a practical level, you may ask? I would say that every time you do a team retrospective, that you sit down with the team and ask yourself, okay, so how was the last month or the last week as a team? What did we learn from the various experiences that we've had? What are the key takeaways from what we have achieved? Just that one hour session is as much a working session as it is a learning session. So those are the kind of moments that this rule is encouraging workers to bake into one's diary, one's calendar on an ongoing basis. Another example of an event like that is, let's say, a masterclass by an expert. So if you want to learn something about a particular topic, rather than go for a training course, you may invite somebody who is an expert on that topic to come into a regular meeting, a regular cadence meeting, and spend an hour discussing that topic with you and your team. That is learn flow. You are learning from something from that. So those are the kinds of events that we can bake into our calendar, that we can bake into our flow. It doesn't disrupt us or take us away from work, but we are learning every day. So that is the whole idea of rule number seven, turn your workflow into learn flow, find hours in the day that you can use many different form factors, whether it is in the form of a retrospective, whether it is in the form of looking at trends and data on your work product, whether it is in the form of a masterclass, whether it is in the form of a review of performance over the last period of time, whatever that format is, those are learning moments and those are critical to learn new skills. So it makes me feel that really there's so many opportunities around us, right, where we can take advantage of learning. It also makes me think, Indra, of the, you know, the struggle that we've had around, you know, work-life balance, right? It's almost a similar notion. For the longest time, it's been work and life are opposing forces. Right now we're talking about work-life integration. It feels a bit like work and learning have been opposing forces. And now we're talking about how we bring work and learn you know, in an integrated fashion into our learn flow. So let's move on to rule number eight, right? Rule number eight has an interesting name. It's called skill across and scale up because modern careers are not unidimensional. Can you tell us a little bit about these terms skill across and scale up? 
Right. This is one of my favorite rules because it's one of those, it's, it's more of a hack than a rule, Roxana. So what that means is that there are certain aspects of modern work where with the same amount of effort or maybe even less effort, you can get tremendous output. So if you put that theory to work in the context of growth, I see it like, you know, what are the things that you can do to the way that you are learning, what you are learning and how you are learning that can have an outsized impact on your career growth. So for the longest time, we have thought about careers as unidimensional. In traditional work, that is the case. So you join as a marketing intern, become a marketing analyst, and then become a marketing you know, professional practitioner, then become a marketing manager. Then you're given a brand to manage, and then you become a manager of a portfolio. So you become a portfolio manager. And then you become a chief marketing officer, something like that. That's what I call a unidimensional career. Very important that these careers are still there and still remain. But that is one way to grow in your career within a given function, within a given domain. You become a deep expert in that. Domain. That is the way things were in traditional work. But in modern work, skills and how you combine skills can actually give you an accelerator in your career. What do I mean by that? To me, upskilling in the skill that you already know. Let's say you are good at marketing, you know some things about marketing. How do you upskill? Is when you upskill yourself on the marketing topic or new ideas and new trends in marketing. That is growth also, but that is like being on a slow train. So what does it take to be on a rocket ship in your career? What does it take to grow exponentially faster than everyone else? That is where the notion of skilling across comes in. Cross-skilling as opposed to upskilling is the fuel for your rocket ship. What do I mean by that? If you are a marketeer, suppose you learn about customer experience, that creates fuel for your rocket ship. Suppose you now extend and learn more about data science, that gives fuel for your rocket ship. And then you become a growth owner. And then beyond that, you learn about product, product design, you can become a product owner. And before you know it, you are learning about software development, and technology operations and cybersecurity, and all of a sudden you can own a platform and become the CEO of a significant business. So that is the way to think about skilling in modern work. Don't just think about upskilling in the area that you already know, but combine. Take two things that you did not think was part of your domain and learn about them. And if you can think about this strategically, you will see that your career is growing two, three, four times faster than you would normally be able to grow if you were thinking about your career as unidimensional. So the rule is skill across to scale up. And once you are able to embrace this rule, you will see opportunities to learn new things everywhere. And I can say for sure that in today's market of skill sets, if you have these unique combinations of skills like data and marketing or analytics, or, or rather automation and software engineering and product design. So these combinations of skills create that those exponential opportunities for career growth. It leaves me feeling both apprehensive and excited all at the same time, right? You know, as you think about the, these heavy combinations of skills and capabilities, surely, Indra, this causes, you know, a moment for pause, right? Uh, in terms of if you're a leader who's, who's managing somebody like this, who has aspirations around this kind of cross-skilling in order to scale up, any words of wisdom for, you know, those individuals who are leaders of people who will be thinking in this way? 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, leaders have to be a lot more open to managing people who beyond the immediate confines of your department or division. So suppose I am the head of technology of a particular organization of a bank, let's say, and if I have somebody who wants to learn about psychology, in traditional work, I would discourage that person. I would say, you're a technology person. You are in my department. I would rather you learn more skills around software engineering or coding or testing. But if you come to me and you say, I want to explore behavioral science and psychology in traditional work, I would discourage you. But as a leader in modern work, I should see that as an incredible opportunity to create that combination. Because you know what? In today's heady world of digital platforms, there is a tremendous value of somebody who can marry the science of human psychology and behavior with the software engineering capabilities to create features within the platform that the user would be really interested in. So a lot of the technology that is going into creating those kind of features within platforms comes from people who are maybe technologists, but they have learned about psychology or vice versa. So as leaders, we need to encourage this. And the more we encourage it, we will find that some of the really smart talent within our teams are branching out maybe beyond a little bit beyond our division or department. And sometimes as leaders, we might feel a little insecure about that. And I would say to all leaders that in modern work, that insecurity is not good for you, it's not good for your people, and it's not good for your organization. So the more we are inclusive, the more we spread out and allow people to look beyond the confines and boundaries of their domain, the faster we will all grow, the faster we will get to a point where we have the right talent in our organization uh, for exponential growth. This really does take us on perfectly, right, to, to rule number nine, uh, Indra. You know, you talked about inclusion just now. You talked about, you know, the fact that we're moving from being unidimensional to being multidimensional. But it requires us to be able to understand different perspectives. It requires us to be able to understand the complexity of the diversity that we have in the organization. So rule number nine is around mastering differences because complexity needs diversity. So do you want to tell us a little bit about, you know, where we're coming from in this one? Because there's a bit of a unique angle to this mastering differences in modern work. Oh, absolutely. And I would I would argue that this is the hardest skill, the hardest rule to master. <laughs> and I struggle with it personally. I know so many leaders that I work with, that I have coached, I have consulted for. All of them have some blind spot or the other when it comes to this particular rule of mastering differences. So I want to talk about diversity in the context of diversity of thinking, not diversity of demographics. I'm not talking about men versus women or uh, white versus people of color. I'm not talking about ethnicity. I'm not talking about, you know, educational background. I'm talking about diversity of thinking, different ways of thinking. So there are four vectors of complexity in the problems that we are solving in modern work. So let me try and explain what these vectors are first. The first vector of complexity is desirability. How do I make what I'm doing, the solution that I'm creating, the, or the product that I'm designing, or whatever it is, the service that I'm providing, how do I make it desirable to the user? How do I make it such that the user really likes it? The second vector of complexity or things that are making working more complex is the vector of feasibility. So it's one thing to make something which is really desirable to the user, but how do I make it feasible from a technology perspective? How do I make it work properly? How do I make it you know, efficient? How do I make it scalable? How do I make it fit for purpose for that particular organization or that particular process? So that is the second vector. The third vector is viability. 
you might have something that is highly desirable for the user, highly feasible from a technology perspective, but is it viable? Will it make money? Will it reduce cost? Will it create value? So these three vectors are very, very important in modern work because almost every problem that you will be dealing with as a team in the modern world of work, you will have to solve from all three dimensions. You cannot just create something that is highly desirable. You'll have to make it really feasible and really efficient and really scalable. And you'll also have to make sure that it makes money, maybe not today or tomorrow, but eventually it will make money. Now add to that the fourth vector that has come in over the last few years, which is sustainability. So not only do we have to now take care of these three dimensions of problem solving, we now have to add a fourth one, which is the thing that I'm creating, the solution that I'm building, will it harm the environment? Will it harm the level of equity or will it create less equity in my organization? Am I doing it in a way that reduces wastage and takes it to zero? Am I doing it in a way that has positive impact on society, not a negative impact? So now you added another list of three or four questions to the problem that you're trying to solve. So in traditional work, why was it much more simple? In traditional work, you had the marketing department dealing with desirability. You had the technology department dealing with feasibility. You had the finance department and the pricing department dealing with viability. And you had, you know, HR department and ESR department dealing with sustainability. Four different departments dealing with four different vectors of complexity. In modern work, all of a sudden you're saying, no, no, no. The team that is solving for a problem and trying to build a product or service will have to solve all four at the same time. Therein lies the issue. Therein lies the importance of each one of us as practitioners who will find ourselves in one or other of those modern work teams to really understand different perspectives. Now, I say this thing about collaboration. In traditional work, because different departments were dealing with different vectors, collaboration was easy. What is the problem for a marketing person to collaborate with another marketing person? Not much. For a finance person to collaborate with another accountant or another investor? No problem, you can collaborate because you're like-minded and you have similar experiences and perspectives. In modern work, however, collaboration is a different game. It is a very difficult game because you are not collaborating with people that you like or know or are very similar to you. You are collaborating with people you don't understand or sometimes you just can't stand because they think differently from you. And we have to acknowledge that this is a feature of modern work. Every team will require these four perspectives. And therefore, people who come with only one perspective into these teams will find it very, very difficult. And that's why we must pay attention to this rule. We must learn how to master differences. And we must learn in modern work to thrive, especially when we are working with people we cannot stand. And that's the notion of rule number nine, which is mastering differences because complexity needs diversity. Thanks so much for that, Indra. You know, as, as I'm listening to you unpack that, uh, I mean, I think we all know that cross-functional teaming or mission-based teams or bringing together, you know, diverse teams to solve for desirability, feasibility, viability, and now sustainability is a fact of life now, right, in modern work, that there is no way of getting away from that. And I think the time of solving for problems from a single lens or from a single functionality, you know, are gone. So I, I hear you when you say that this feels like one of the hardest rules because we also have to challenge our own assumptions. We also have to challenge our own biases, which are often very, very deep seated to be able to really kind of embrace these differences and really tackle this level of diversity. 
and and I'm sure that four vectors will eventually go to five vectors, right? Because things are not becoming easier or simpler for us, you know, as, as things become more disrupted. Okay, so we have now covered the three rules of uh, growth. So we've actually covered nine of the 10 rules and we've been keeping people hanging, right, around this final golden rule. So, so Indra, let's talk about this golden rule. Let's, let's let the cat out of the bag, so to speak, and, and have a bit of a conversation around this one golden rule, which is called always run a side hustle. Always run a side hustle because the best ideas exist outside of your comfort zone. So should I be going off and starting a coffee shop? Is that what, what you're saying I should be doing? Tell me about this side hustle notion. Yeah, so side hustle is something that has come into our vocabulary, I think, over the last five, six years, I would say. Right. So if you if you go to college and talk to anybody that you're looking to recruit into your organization today, whether they admit it in the interview or not, I can guarantee you that they have a side hustle going and it could be something small. It could be something big, but they are operating at a level where they are trying out different things and are not just focused on the one job, one career kind of mindset that Roxana, you and I must have grown up. With. Why is this important in modern work? Well, modern work is very intense, is very intense. And one of the things that we keep hearing, especially over the last couple of years, while people have worked in hybrid, in this high intensity, rough and tumble world of modern work, is that you tend to experience burnout. And one of the things that has become clear to us as we have done this research is that one of the reasons of burnout is that because you're obsessing on one thing all the time. We just talked about the fact that the problems are so much more complex that we are solving for. And this is why the side hustle aspect is so important, that you have to have an opportunity to turn your attention away from what has been, you know, creating an intense struggle for you through the day and turn your attention away to something else, something different. But that something different has to be something that you're passionate about so that you don't feel like, oh, I've got to do like another thing on top of everything else that I've been doing at work. So passion is the centerpiece of a side hustle. A good side hustle is something that you're passionate about. Even at 9.30 in the evening, if you have to put in hard work behind that side hustle, you're willing to do it because you're passionate about it. But passion is not enough. You have to find something that teaches you new skills, that connects you with new people. So if your day job is accounting and your side hustle is to run an accounting club, that may not be the best idea for a side hustle because you do want to take your attention away from what is your core and do something a little bit different, a little bit on the side. And that gives you different perspective and different kind of energy. Is a side hustle the same as a hobby? Great question. Yes and no. So it has some characteristics of a hobby in the, in the sense that it has to be something that you're passionate about, that you wouldn't mind doing for free, that connects you with people who, you know, you love to, you know, spend time with and, and engage with and hang out with. But it is different from a hobby in the sense that a side hustle involves for you to put something in it in the form of risk. So ideally money, your own money, some investment, that would be ideal. If it is not money, at least something around you're putting your name to it, your reputation to it. That is a kind of form of risk that you're taking, or at least you're putting significant amount of energy and resources behind it, or what in the startup world you would call sweat equity, right? So something wherein you are giving to this activity or this venture a little bit more than just, you know, a couple of hours a day playing golf, something like that, right? So that golf would be a good hobby or cycling it would be a good hobby. But hey, if you want to, you know, start a cycling business or a cycling venture or a cycle ride sharing or a cycle sharing kind of venture, 
Those are all good examples of side hustle where there is a little bit of risk involved, a little bit of creativity, and you're putting something to the test. There is a way of succeeding or failing at your side hustle. So a hobby plus plus is the way I would like to put it. Yeah, and Indra, I know, you know, when you and I have talked about this, this is also about a great way in which to enrich your perspective. Right. So having a side hustle is also about working with people that you are not, you know, generally working with on a day to day basis. So your exposure grows, your perspective grows because of the new and different people that you're interacting with. Absolutely. So so now now you know I'm gonna ask you, right? <laughs> I need I know to know coming. what's your side hustle? Yeah, what's your side hustle, Indro? Right. So my side hustle is I'm involved in an ed tech startup and I've been involved in the conceptualization of the startup and it's run by my wife, but I have invested in it and I have invested a lot of time and energy and attention to it. I learn a lot from it. If I give in two points worth of attention, I'm getting two hundred points worth of value out of it not in the form of money or, or, or returns, but in the form of learnings. So what do I mean by that? I mean that I've learned new perspectives on how to build things, how to scale things, how to grow things. I've learned new skills. And you know, I've seen, uh, I've, I've interacted with a lot of people in the ed tech community, investors, employees, founders, et cetera. And that has really opened my perspective in a lot of ways that helps me in my core business. So when we were growing up, Roxana, we were always told that when you're doing your job, all you need to focus on is your job, your company, your department, division, whatever it is, and your results. Don't look left. Don't look right. Anything that you do outside is a distraction. It takes time away and attention away from what you're doing. And that's not a good idea. That's what we were taught. And what I'm saying is that the rule has changed. In modern work, the opposite is true. If you are obsessed with only one thing 24-7, naturally, it is going to create so much anxiety, so much frustration when things are not going perfectly well, and you will lose your sense of control because you're obsessing about one thing all the time. So what my side hustle has done for me is made me realize that there is so many different ways to solve problems. And when I come back and I look at my core job, the problems that I am dealing with don't look that big to me anymore. Right. So I'm able to get some control, some perspective on the things, issues that I'm dealing with, because I have seen what the world looks like for an entrepreneur and a founder, a new company without a brand trying to establish themselves in the market. And in spite of all of the constraints, how well and how quickly they can get things done. So when I come back to Deloitte, I'm like, hey, you know what? I have so much more. I have so much more resources at my disposal. I have a great brand to work with. I have incredibly smart people all around that I can leverage. I've got so many clients that are willing to, you know, put in their mind behind the problems that I'm trying to solve, which is fantastic to have. And it just gives me so much perspectives and so much freedom and so much relaxed energy and good vibe as I come back to my core job. It's awesome. It almost sounds like your side hustle kind of acts as a bit of a regulator for you, right? Um, you know, as, as you're powering through. So, you know, I really like this notion of the side hustle and this golden rule, because while these 10 rules of modern work, you know, the way that we have framed them and intentionally so has been around how to help you achieve success, happiness and fulfillment at work. But when we talk about this side hustle, I feel like we start to transcend work and we start to get into life. So these rules are almost equally applicable, right? Whether it's around the rules of you know, control, the rules of awesome, the rules of growth, it really does feel like to me that they could be equally as important in life in general. So if we start to redress kind of that balance around work and life being separate things 
actually these rules are all about success, happiness, and fulfillment in life overall. So Indra, thank you. Thank you so much um, for being with us for this final episode um, in the 10 series of Modern Work. We've covered all 10 rules now, and I hope you've all found that you know, the nine rules together with this one golden rule um, really is a recipe and a, a new way of thinking going forward. So, Ruxana, so I have a question you, for you. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, a slightly different question. So, so, you know, a lot of people have been asking me, I mean, ever since we have published um, our work on the 10 rules, a lot of excitement, a lot of questions coming, coming my way. And they're asking me, so... If as an organization, um, if we want to embrace these 10 rules and if we want all our managers and all our employees to live by these 10 rules or, or some version of it, whatever it is that they want to wrap their heads around, what is the mechanism to do that, right? So how do we do this at scale across the enterprise? How would you think about that, Roxana? So, so Indra, it's, it's a great question, right? Um, and I think that, you know, the, the first thing is, is to think about modern work as a pretty broad platform for us to be able to create a new experience at work, right? Um, and, but I think you have to do that, as you said, through a leader lens, and you also have to do it through an employee lens. Uh, because I think if we, if we only tackle it from an employee lens, then we, you know, we're missing part of the equation. Modern work has to be enabled, and it needs to be enabled by, by leaders. So I think you know, what we've been talking about is the notion of a modern work studio. Right. So, so what is that modern work studio? Well, the modern work studio gives you an opportunity for leaders and their teams together to actually unpack what modern work looks like on a day to day basis. Now, one of the things about modern work for me is that when I look at it, it feels really practical. It's almost like giving me a set of tools that on a day to day basis I can go to to, you know, to make things happen for me. So I would think that, you know, the way forward around this is to create opportunities where leaders and teams together can have conversations around modern work within the work environment. So both sides, right, looking at it from a leader lens and then looking at it from an employee lens. There's probably a third angle too, which is from an HR yes. lens, because as an HR function, you know, you really are the enabler. So when I think about desirability and viability and feasibility and sustainability coming together, I think one of the biggest challenges is for HR functions to be able to work across those four vectors to really enable modern work. So, so in the studio, how does it work? So leaders and their teams and employees come together, they learn about modern work, I can see that, right? So they discuss about modern work and take the problems that they're going through and bring that to the studio and they solve for it. Great. But what about HR? Can, can HR play a role in the modern work studio? Can they utilize the studio for that purpose of enablement and creating mechanisms and stuff like that? Absolutely. I actually think HR has an important coaching role in this. So, so two points here, right, Indra. I think the first one is that it's not just about coming and discussing, right? We have to be able to activate the three, you know, the nine rules in the three, think about it as three zones, right? You come in and you have conversations as a leader with your teams around control, right? Not just a conversation, but then actually starting to plan, right? How do I address these rules of control? So we would want people to walk away with some very active, thoughts around control. Move on to growth. How do we think about growth? What are some of the actions that we can take as a leader and my team together around enabling growth? So similarly, as you go through, you know, the, the three rules of control, the three rules of growth, the three rules of awesome, 
I think the role that I could see HR playing is one of enablement, right? So being able to coach leaders and teams as they're going through these different parts of the, the modern work studio, but then also taking a step back to examine some of the mechanisms that might be in place in the organization that could actually you know, be blockers or uh, detractors from, be, uh, from organizations being able to embrace modern work altogether. Right. I love that. So it, it gives HR almost like a, a zone of experimentation. You know, what kind of mechanisms would people want? What would they, what would really benefit them as they are practicing modern work and, and use those tools and bring it straight to the users who are right there in the studio discussing some of the challenges that they're going through. It's almost like a watering hole that you're creating for uh, the workforce. And they're coming to the watering hole and HR is right there to listen to them, to construct solutions and test those solutions with them. I love that idea. So watch out for the Modern Work Studio coming soon. Thank you everyone so much for listening to this final podcast in the 10 Rules of Modern Work series brought to you by Deloitte Consulting Southeast Asia. I think this is going to be Indro and I signing off. Thank you so much. Thank you.